0: So, at any rate, Romans chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. Romans chapter 3. As we enter this next text of Scripture, Paul really begins to emphasize the righteousness of God. As you remember, over the last few chapters, as we've been building into chapter 3, over and over it's been about the judgment of God and how the judgment of God is the same for everybody. The Jews felt like they were going to get this special attention, this special privileges, not have to endure this same judgment because of who they were because they got the law because of you know all the circumstances involved but we come to the conclusion from God's word is that no he says we're all the same all under judgment but as we saw that in, in Romans chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 in one verse he talks about verse 17 he says for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith and then verse 18 says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So in one verse he's talking about the righteousness of God. The other verse is talking about the wrath of God. So building up to this he says the wrath of God is upon everybody. But now he's going to introduce the righteousness of God for all. And I'm so thankful for that because I don't know about you but apart from God's grace which is we're going to end with. We'd all spend eternity in a lake of fire and hell for all, for all eternity right? We're grateful and and thankful for His grace. So Paul is going to show God's provision for His righteousness. And it's interesting to note that there are several key men, at least a couple of them I'll highlight this morning, that talked about the significance of this passage of Scripture. In fact, Luther called verses 21-31 through the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Because in it, he tells where man is and what man must do. Uh, Calvin declared regarding this text that there is not probably in the whole Bible a passage which sets forth more profoundly the righteousness of God in Christ. So there are some interesting details that we're going to bring out in this this text as we look through verses 21 through 31. And uh, let me just tell you, these are not easy verses for a lot of people, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but as we've been talking about the law and grace, as we've been talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, It's almost as though, as I've said many times, you have to read through the passages several times to get what he's saying. And that's okay, because the more we read through it, the more we begin to grasp and understand it and be able to apply what he's talking about. So don't get overwhelmed by the deepness of some of it, because there is a lot of application here that we're going to find out, especially as we come into the end of this text. So if you would, but notice some of the details with me of this text. And if you would, just follow along as I begin reading verses 21 through 31. And this morning I'm going to read from the Legacy Standard Bible. And I really come to appreciate this. And so it's very similar to New King James. So you can very easily follow along with me. So I'm going to read verses 21 through 31. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. "...being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith for a demonstration of His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed." For the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then abolish the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Lord Jesus, I pray God once again that you illuminate the scripture to us and speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, notice the details of this text. First of all, the righteousness of God has been made manifest. So all this talk that we've been getting into from the differences between the Jew and the Gentile and how we're all under judgment, you know, there is, a, there is a mindset, especially among the Jewish people, that these are the rules, these are the regulations, these are the guidelines that we have to live by, these are all the laws that we have to abide by if we want to have a righteousness or a right standing before God. And so he comes right off the bat and he says, the righteousness of God has been made manifest. In other words, he says, it's manifest to you because you can know how to have his righteousness. It's been made known to you. So man now has the ability to have a right standing before God apart from the law. You see, up to this point, the law was everything. Up to this point, it was all the rules, all the regulations, all the guidelines, all the celebrations, all the feasts, all the things that they had to take a mental note of and abide by them. And the more you could do, the better you were. The better standing you thought or one might thought that they might have had. But he says, now all the righteousness that God is giving is apart from the law. Has nothing to do with the law any longer. Now man can have a right stand before God apart from it. So his standing is not contingent upon or earned by the law. It's not contingent upon the law. It's not earned by the law. So we know that now we're starting to see some New Testament principles starting to follow through on this, right? Remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast so he gives us once again the principles that we begin to see in the pauline epistles concerning putting our faith and trust in christ and the fact that you can do nothing about it in and of yourselves you can't be good enough you can't be kind enough you can't give to the poor enough you can't get educated enough there's nothing you can do it's not by anything that you can do otherwise christ would not have died his death would have been in vain So he's bringing this, all this point to this, is that now you can have a righteousness that is not contingent upon or earned through by abiding in the law. And he says the law and the prophets are witnesses to this. The Old Testament types, the promises, the prophecies of Christ were all witnesses, he says in verse 21. It says being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Uh, If you would, keep your finger there in Romans chapter 3, but back in Luke chapter 24... He talks about this just for a moment. Luke chapter 24. Almost there. There we go. Luke 24, verse 27. It says, "...then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures." So once again, in our text in Romans 3, he brings about the fact that the righteousness of God has been made manifest. Verse 22 says, "...even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ..." And he reminds us back in Luke 24 and verse 27 that from the beginning he interpreted them with the things concerning himself, Jesus Christ, having faith in him, having a relationship with him. And then he goes on over in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He says, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And He says, You are witnesses of these things. So we talk about the the promises of Christ all being fulfilled, and there being witnesses of what He has said. And this righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So once again, in, Ro- in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he says, From faith to faith, righteousness is revealed. And this faith also is distinctly linked to Jesus. Three things that really just stand, about, stand out to me in this verse. First of all, faith. We have to have Faith. You know, I don't know about you, but most of us, as we came in this room this morning, you had no doubt that when you looked at that chair, you could sit down on it. Trust me, I've been in some places in Africa where I looked at that plastic chair, and I said, I oh don't know, man, this is purely an exercise of faith, because I don't think that chair is going to hold me. I don't know what it is. In Africa, they use plastic chairs everywhere. Those of you that have been there, seen that? I don't know what it is. I like, I like, I like wood. I don't like flimsy plastic. Not good. faith. No faith. Faith is something that we put our heart into. We believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. None of us were here to watch the chair being welded together by a machine. None of us were here to see how the, how the thick cardboard was put inside the cushion and, and how it was riveted to the frame to make sure that it would hold us, right? None of us saw that. But none of us doubted that when you came in and sat down that it was going to hold you. That's the faith. Never doubting. Faith in Jesus and what He has done. That's faith, and in Jesus. And over and over he says it's not in anyone else. It's not in Mahatma Gandhi, it's not in you know, Confucius, it's not in Buddha, it's not in anyone else. It's in Jesus. Acts 4 reminds us of that. There is no other name given among men whereby we what? Must be saved. The name of Jesus. And then he says for all who believe. I want to take a rabbit trail here so badly, but I won't. There are so many people that say, well, God chose that person to be saved, that person not to be saved. I'll take him, but not her. Uh, yeah, 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 you, 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 no, no, not you. How many places in Scripture do we have to see everyone? For whosoever, Jews and Gentiles, there's no distinction. Over and over, he makes it clear. For he says, for there is no distinction. Read that with me in verse 22. For there is no distinction. He says, my righteousness is made available to all. That's the beauty of it. This summer, I'm hoping to share the gospel with all. So we've got 90-some churches that I'm inviting to the Fill the Field event. Why so many? Because I believe that there are a lot of preachers and teachers and churches that are not sharing the gospel. And if, if there's one thing that Andy Stanley said that I agree with wholeheartedly, he says, if you don't have the guts to share your faith, at least get him here so I can that's an obligation that you and I have is to get the faith out, to get the gospel message out. That they might have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? So there's an opportunity here for all people. It says Jew and Gentile alike. There's no distinction. Why? Verse 23. Probably one of the most familiar verses that any of us have ever read in the Bible. Besides John 3.16. It says for all. What does all mean? All. What about in the Greek? What's it mean? All. means every one of us, without fail, without exception, every one of us have sinned. And there's an interesting thing in the Bible, is that there are numerous words that are translated sin. We talk about the word debt. Is all debt sin? Yes or no? No. Only the debt that you choose not to repay. That becomes sin when you choose not to pay it. That becomes sin. Or trespassing, Right? I've said many times in talking about hunting, all the big deer are on that side of the line, but there's a, no trespassing. Can't go across it. But the whole idea behind trespassing, and when it, as it relates to sin, is that there's a line that you are not supposed to cross, and you willfully cross that line. You have trespassed. You have sinned. So the whole idea behind the word sin throughout Scripture means to miss the mark. In other words, I have a bow and arrow. There's a bullseye over there in the target. And I consistently, the way I was born, I was born with that arrow six foot outside the bullseye. And there's nothing I could do about it in and of myself. It's what Christ has done for us. We were born in sin. You cannot control that. We're all born that way. And he says here's the, beauty, or, 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 here's the problem with it we're born in sin, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the glory of God. I think of so many, things that, so many things that come to my mind, you know, in the verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. So what does it mean to do things to the glory of God? Everyone has an idea. Some people think if you're just a good person, well, you're, you're a good person for the glory of God. Some people think if you just go to church, if you just help the poor, you're, you're living for the glory. No. The glory of God is a standard. I love what the author of the, one of the commentaries that I'm reading wrote uh, as I was studying this week. He said, the glory of God, essentially the phrase denotes the visible brightness and splendor emanating from the perfection of God. Think about that. Let me say it one more time. Essentially the phrase denotes the visible brightness and splendor emanating from the perfection of God. When I think of the glory of God, when I think of heaven... It says in heaven, when we read about, in in the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, it says there is no need of light there. Why? Because the glory of God is the what? What? It's the light, right? So it says there's no need of light because the glory of God is the light. So we have this idea that there's this glowing light that's emanating from the personage of God. He says we fall short of that glory. In all of our goodnesses, in all of our greatness that we think we may possess. And that's just deceitful to ourselves, right? Because all of our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things desperately wicked. Who could know it? But we fall short of that glowing brightness, that emanating splendor from God. We fall short of that. That only belongs to God. Verse 24 is a great verse as well. We're familiar with verse 23, but verse 24 has some really great truths in it. It says, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Three things that stand out about that verse. Number one, it says being justified as a gift. Number one, gifts are free. I don't, has anybody ever had a birthday and you got a gift? I, nobody? There we go. So I was saying that most of the time, gifts are really free. I, I can only think of one time where a gift was not free. It was Father's Day several years ago. My wife comes up to me. She goes, let me have you a debit card. I look at her and say, why? Well, the kids are going to go get you a Father's Day gift. What are they getting? Well, they're going to get you a grill. Oh, so I'm buying my own gift on Father's Day. That's the only gift i ever think of. We joke about it. But you know what? Like, gifts, are, gifts are gifts, right? They're free. I, I've never met anybody he says, hey, I got you this gift, but hey, hey, before, you get, before you open it, I, I, need, I need $50. I mean, I mean, I, it's really worth 100 but I'm only asking you for a half. I got a gift for you, but I first need you to go clean your room to your kid. I, 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 need, I got this gift for you, but I, I want you to go back you know, into the house and do the dishes first. Gifts don't come with attachments, right? Gifts are free. And there is no cost to the recipient. You see, when we look at the gift of Jesus Christ, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. That gift costs Jesus everything. Gifts always cost the giver the price. It costs Jesus everything. It costs us nothing. He's the one that gave His life. He's the one that gave His blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. Gifts are free. There's no cost to the recipient. Number two is given by grace. No know, grace is undeserved favor. Man, if we got what we deserved, it'd be eternity in hell, right? If we got what we deserved, if, remember, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the wages, what you deserve from what you've done, it deserves eternal torment in hell. But he says, but the gift is eternal life. If we got what we deserved, it'd be eternity in hell. But it's given by grace. Undeserved favor. And then number three that I see in verse 24. It's obtained through redemption. In other words, there was a releasing of the penalty. A releasing of the wrath brought about by the payment of the price. The payment of the price released the, the wrath of God. His blood was the conduit. Remember what God's word tells us? For without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness of sins in other words Jesus paid that price for us so that we might have forgiveness a couple things that we see in verses 25 and 26 it says whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed but first of all God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Once again, he released the wrath. He paid the price. Sin demands a penalty. Jesus' death averted the wrath of God from the sinner. Think about that. Just let that sink in for a moment. Can you imagine just for a moment? You're a wealthy person. At least you think you're pretty wealthy. You're worth quite a bit. Then all of a sudden, something happens whereby you lose your wealth. Problem is, you've got a mortgage, you've got loans, you've got people that you're indebted to, and you're worried about how am I going to pay for it? Does that happen? Yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. But spiritually, there's a picture of salvation there. I'm indebted to the one who gave everything. He paid the price. He sent his son. To be the propitiation for our sins. He covered the debt. And all it demanded on our part was faith and trust in a relationship with Him. Going back to verse 25, it says, He displayed this publicly for all the world to see. Up on a cross, He gave everything. It says, through faith through faith people have said for years it doesn't matter which faith you belong to, it does matter Jesus Christ says I am the way I am the truth, I am the life no man comes unto the Father but by me so isn't that exclusive? yeah he's the only one that died and rose again the third day he's the only one that can say that he is God we talked about this in Jeremiah, from Jeremiah 10 a few weeks back They go out in the woods, they cut down a tree, and they carve out the image of the tree. They make eyes and nose and a mouth and ear. They inlay it with gold and precious stones. And what's it say? They have ears we can't hear, eyes we can't see, mouth we cannot speak, feet cannot walk. It's just a thing. Our God is alive. He's alive. And because of that, we can have life. His blood was the conduit. He is both the just and the justifier. Verse 26, for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's where it starts. A relationship with him starts by putting our faith and trust in him. Well, as we look at verses 27 and following, there are significant things about God's righteousness. I think there are at least three things I want to bring out. Verses 27 and 28. First, there is no boasting in the gospel method of justification. All the glory goes to God. Look at verse 27. It says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Which is what he said back in verse 21. Apart from the works of the law. Apart from the law, one is declared righteous. So first, there's no boasting in the gospel method of justification. No one can say, well, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look how good a person I am. I mean, I'm so much better than them and so much better than her and him. And Look, look who I am. No one can say that. Nobody can say, well, I've just I've been a multi-gazillionaire. I've built hospitals and schools and you know, paid for immunizations for all the poor people of Africa. And I've done this and done that. No one can say, I've earned my righteousness before God. Nobody. He says, where is boasting? It's excluded. Because nobody can boast in and of themselves of what they think they've done. Remember Titus 3.5? Not by works of righteousness, which I've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So all the glory goes to God. Over and over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, who makes one to differ from another? God. So if you're talented or skilled or have a bill special abilities that no one else has, who gave them to you? God. Why? So that all the glory would go to him and not to ourselves. So first, there's no boasting in the gospel method of justification. Number two, the gospel method of justification is available to all. It's available to everyone the same. Look at verses 29 and 30. He says, Or... Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that faith is one. So he says, secondly, the gospel method of justification is available to all, to everyone the same. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be an elitist to become part of God's family? Aren't you glad that you don't have to have certain abilities and skills to become part of God's family? Anyone ever felt like a failure? I have. Ever felt like you you just couldn't measure up? I have. I mean, if you had to do all these things before you could become part of the family, how many of us would actually make it in? None of us. Very few of us. And then thirdly, the gospel method of justification establishes the real purposes of the law. Look at verse 31. Do we then abolish the law through faith? He says, may it never be. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that a contradiction of what he's been saying all along? I mean, for the whole first two and a half chapters of, and, and into chapter 3, he's talking about the law is not what declares us righteous or unrighteous. It's not the law because of the law. You, no one can keep the law completely. So why are we establishing it? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. At the end of verse 31 it says, may it never be. May, may, may we never render the law inactive. May we never make it of no effect. May it never be, he says. He says, in fact, we establish the law. Contrary to what you think, he says, we establish the law. You know what the law does? It does several things. Number one, it shows us that we cannot keep it perfectly. Right? None of us can. I mean. How many times have we had to tell our kids to do the same thing over and over and over again? I mean, it's a simple rule that you have in your house. Don't hit your brother. Don't hit your sister. I said don't hit. Two days later, I, hey, have I not told you quit hitting your sister? Why do it? Because we have to be reminded over and over and over again that simple rules, as some people say, are made to be broken. None of us can keep the law perfectly. And when it's established as this is what we do and don't do, It's a reminder of how much we need, as it says in Galatians, that the law was the schoolmaster to bring us to what? Grace. It makes us realize how much we need God's grace. Because I can't be good enough. I can't do it all the the time. So he says we don't abolish the law. We make it even more established. Because it's a reminder. That's where God's grace steps in. That's where God reveals His grace to every one of us. Think about it in your own life. How many of you have needed God's grace? I have. I'm reminded over and over how sinful I am. You are too. We're all sinful. And the reality is it's only God's grace. And when I think of God's grace... Other things come into picture of that that as well. It's forgiveness. I'm thankful for a God who forgives. I'm thankful for a God who is long-suffering. What's that mean? He's patient with us. How many of you, when your kids have done something wrong, you want to grab the the paddle and deal with it? God says, you deserve the paddle, but I'm just going to let you think about it for a minute. That's his long-suffering. That's his forbearance. He's patient with us. He gives us opportunity to think about what we've done, how we've done it, how we broke, heart, broke his heart through various actions and activities. I'm thankful for his grace. And the law proves to me I cannot keep it all. And so, according to Galatians, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to grace. I need that grace. And I would imagine that you do too. Amen? Amen. Every day. So he says, we don't abolish it. We establish it. And it teaches us how we're to live. But realizing that we're not perfect, but that's where his grace makes up the difference, so to speak. I don't know about you, but I need that every day. And it's a reminder every day of just how much we do need him. Over and over he says, this grace is for everyone. I love that. He paid the price. He was the propitiation through our faith in Jesus. He paid the price for us. Why? Because you had a sin debt you couldn't pay. We fall short of that glory but God's grace. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we are, Lord, obvious recipients of your grace and your mercy. We're obviously aware of the fact that, Lord, we are not perfect. We have failed you. We have flaws. We are sinful. But yet, we're grateful for your grace. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning to help us to realize that once again, this grace is available to all. The righteousness of God is available to all. And I pray, God, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know if they're your child, might today be the day of salvation for them. So, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. Simple passage. no longer have to follow all the do's and the don'ts. We can be righteous apart from the works of the law. Do you know Jesus? Have you partaken of his righteousness? Have you accepted his grace? Maybe you're here this morning, and say, I don't know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I truly know him. I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you, not call you out, but just a simple uplifted hand or just looking at me. I'm not sure. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Anyone else? Just not sure. Can I just tell you God's grace is sufficient? You don't have to hope or wish or think that you have it. 1 John 5 13 says, These things have I written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. It's that simple. And I would love nothing more than to take a moment and talk with you. Anyone else say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm truly a child of God, but I'm concerned. Would you pray for me? Anyone else like that this morning? So for those of you that do know Jesus, have you shared others His grace? Have you told others of the grace that you've received? You're not perfect because you can't keep the law. He says that's where the grace makes the difference, when we acknowledge it and put it before Him. Say, Pastor, the whole idea of God's grace is overwhelming. And I need to be more grateful, more appreciative, more thankful for that grace. Would you pray for me, anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes. Can I challenge you who raise your hand, your heart before the Lord? things this morning as our heads are bowed. If you're in that situation this morning you're not truly sure you're saved, you're not really sure you've received Jesus as your Savior, can I just tell you this morning it's a simple prayer of faith. A simple prayer of faith. A simple prayer that says, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on the cross. Tell Jesus that. Tell your father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And then say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Say, Lord, I put my faith and my trust in you alone for salvation. I simply put my faith my trust in you alone to save me. A simple prayer of faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? If so, you can be saved. Do you believe that he paid the price for your sin? If so, you can be saved. And God's word says, for with the heart one believes, but with the mouth confession is made. It's a simple prayer. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to be my savior. I put my faith, my trust in you. Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone like that this morning? Thank you for your honesty. In the second, Lord, thank you for your grace. Your sufficient grace. Lord God, I thank you for the honesty of several this morning. Pray, God, that you would just work in their hearts to draw them to yourself. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here, Lord, that we might acknowledge every day, Lord, how much we need your grace. Lord God, would you work in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Help us to realize, Lord, that some of us, we're not as good as we think we are. But God, we're not who we once were. We are just partakers of your grace, your mercy. Thank you, Lord we we'll praise You for Your name, sake. In Jesus' name, Amen.